You're listening to Episode 7 of Rainbow Baby, a podcast documenting a journey of pregnancy after loss. I'm your host, Taylor Bates. In May 2018, my first child, Ellis, was stillborn at 31 weeks for unknown reasons. In the depths of unimaginable grief, my husband Hunter and I knew we wanted to try again. Since then, we've experienced new pregnancies and more loss. We're still hoping for our rainbow baby, which is defined as a baby born subsequent to a miscarriage, stillbirth, or the death of an infant from natural causes. I want to share my story with you because life after pregnancy loss can be so isolating. You'll also hear conversations with others who've walked this path before me. In this episode, I talk with photographer Devin Travieso, a husband and father of two daughters, including a rainbow baby. Devin speaks openly and honestly about what it was like to go through two back-to-back miscarriages with his wife, Joanna, and the hardships of repeat pregnancy loss. He also goes into detail about grief and pregnancy after loss from a father's perspective, and offers insight and guidance for other grieving fathers, who are unfortunately often overlooked. Devin has shared about his family's losses on Instagram and also posts beautiful photos of his family along with the images he shoots professionally. I'm so grateful to be able to share his story with you, and I know his perspective as a lost dad will provide important insight for other fathers and mothers alike. Here's the episode. So thanks for being here, Devin. I really appreciate it. Um, Like I said, I think your perspective as a father is going to be really important to this community um, because fathers' voices are often absence in the pregnancy after loss conversation um, and just pregnancy loss in general. So I'd love it if you could start by just telling us about um, you and your wife's story of miscarriage um, and your journey to um, your rainbow baby. Yeah. Um, so we, uh, it's funny because we kind of, it's kind of a point of, of tension in our marriage for a while. Uh, because, um, there was for years, I didn't, I didn't actually want kids. Um, and I don't know like what happened, but there was just a switch that, that happened, um, like maybe a couple of years ago. And, um, I went from not really wanting kids to like really wanting kids. Um, and, uh, so then we, you know, we started trying and we had, um, it took a little bit for us to even get pregnant. Uh, but then when we did, um, I just remember us being like the most excited about anything we'd ever been. My wife and I are both firstborns and we are both like, we don't really get excited about anything unless it's like right in front of us. But this is like, I don't know. It kind of, it kind of felt like very childlike joy. Um, I would say, and, um, we were just super stoked about it. And, um, yeah, I think we went to our first appointment and they kind of gave us the uh, concern that the heart rate wasn't where it needs to be. And, but, uh, you know, they basically just said, you know, keep it in your prayers, but, um, but come back next week and we'll, that'll really be the one that will tell us where, where the baby's at. So, um, the next one we went to, um, we actually weren't even there for like a sonogram or anything. We were, um, or the ultrasound. We were there to, I think, get like a tour of the hospital. And they randomly decided to check her. Um, and then when they checked her, that's when they called the, the doctor in. And um, basically, it was the doctor that let us know that uh, the baby's heartbeat was basically getting slower. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And how far along was she? Um, we were about, I think we were about like nine weeks or 10 weeks, somewhere around there. Um, and so, yeah, so that we had the first one, we, uh, you know, at this point, neither of us had ever walked through this. So we were given the choice to just let it happen naturally or do a TNC. And so we decided to do that. Um, but it was easily probably the most devastating thing that we've ever walked through. Um, and I just remember like feeling like it instantly changed who we were a little bit. Um, just, yeah, it's, you look forward to something that much and it's taken away from you that fast. And, uh, 
there's a lot that goes on emotionally and mentally and you don't really have a whole lot of time to process but then in the moment but then you're left with like the rest of your life to deal with it you know what I mean so um and so then we um some time went on and we, we were obviously still very much grieving and it was we were we were kind of in the thick of the grieving when we found out we we're pregnant again so it was kind of you're kind of like you don't even know where on one end you're kind of hopeful and like maybe this is why we went through that um and on the other side you're really guarded uh, um and so we really didn't tell too many people at the second time um and then when we went in for our first appointment with that one um it was the same thing where the i remember that one being weird because the the nurses were kind of like yeah everything looks everything looks fine i shouldn't bring in the doctor to give a second opinion um and then as soon as the doctor came in the doctor said the complete opposite it was basically like hey it's not the baby's not gonna make it mm. um and so we just kind of felt tossed around to be honest a lot like between those and um for anyone that like knows anything about the enneagram uh, i'm an enneagram eight so like for me like i don't i like to be told exactly how it is i don't like to be thrown around um so having been told that and then going to a doctor and being told that it wasn't gonna make it um to be honest i i feel like it kind of took a blow to my trust in people uh after that and so um really probably just in in general just trust in general but um so then you know i feel like the second time was kind of different for us it was very much um just as painful but i feel like we we hadn't gone um you know, it's kind of like when you, you like, I picture like being around a corner and you like calling some like little kids and say, Hey, there's candy over here. Come run over here. And then you run, they run and it's not there. And so like the second time they don't run, they just walk. Cause they're kind of like, I don't really know if I believe you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of felt like that this time where we didn't get as excited and we didn't, um, which is ironic cause we didn't necessarily get as excited, but we definitely hurt just as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was just different. I think probably because we were still in the grieving process when we found out the second one. So it just kind of felt like, um, kind of crap being compiled with more crap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and how did you and your wife grieve differently? Uh, we, we grieved extremely differently. Um, which is strange because I'm actually an extrovert and she's an introvert and I normally need people and she normally, well, we both do, but, I think I need more people and she needs a little bit more, probably deeper connections, but less of them. Um, and probably she doesn't, she needs more space to process on her own stuff. But um, during the grieving process, I feel like we kind of, I, I don't know. I think it really changed a little bit of our personalities. I found myself like um, knowing that I needed people, but I found myself, like so withdrawn and isolated and uh obviously out of that um was a very unhealthy place but I just found that it was like um extremely hard to be around people um because most of the people that I was around had never walked through it so they didn't understand Mm -hmm. they didn't really know how to be there or didn't really know what I needed anyway um and then she got more connected which is strange interesting Um, she reached out more and started making newer friends and doing yoga and uh, lots of things that she had never done before. Um, and so she got really connected with, um, like she has a group of girls that she does essential oils with. And so she got more connected with them. Um, she has a group that she does yoga with. Um, so there's just several little outlets that she found that um, she started to dive in pretty deep with. And so on one hand, there's one person that's like kind of going through the trenches and like digging deep and doing some healing. And there's another that is so burned that even the thought of trying to heal is, is tiring. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was pretty hard to grieve together, to be honest. I don't think we were really ever on the same page with it. And I never understood, like I've heard people in the past that like talked about, um, that sometimes things like this people don't make it out of the other side i really understood that because i always thought like okay well maybe 
like I, I would assume that you go through something painful and you use each other to like lean on and stuff, but um, you really just don't know until you walk through it. It's very different. We had someone come to the hospital the day after Alice was stillborn and tell us that the number one cause for a divorce is losing a child. And yeah. at the time that was just shocking because, you know, our, our baby had just died. And so you don't even want to consider that thought that you could also lose your, your partner. Yeah. Um, and I've thought a lot about that since then, because now that it's been a year, I know other people who have lost babies or children and unfortunately they have gotten divorced and I can totally see how that happens because you do grieve differently. And you, like you said, you don't know how you both are going to walk through that um, together and individually. And so um, thankfully we had a, a counselor and several books that we read that told us everyone grieves differently. And so don't judge your partner, don't judge yourself. Um, and that's really what helped us to get through. But it was still hard because I was a much more active griever. Um, as in, you know, crying and um, talking and my husband was more introverted about it. And so I would feel um, kind of isolated sometimes like, oh, he must not be hurting as badly as I am. But he was just um, expressing his grief in a different kind of way. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, how, how did you feel um, like you were able to support your wife through that process, but also like take care of yourself knowing that you were grieving differently and um, and she maybe was more so on that healing path um, than you were? Um, yeah, honestly, I don't, I really don't feel like um, when we went to the first one, um, I felt like that was the closest we had ever been. Um, and in that kind of situation uh, where we're both being hurt by something, um, but then the second one, I felt like it was actually the farthest we'd ever been probably, uh, from being on the same page. And, um, so honestly, it took some time to get back to a place where we were on the same page. Um, and I think we're just now starting to get back to a place where, um, I, for us, it was funny cause I feel like we, um, I almost feel like in for us specifically, I wouldn't necessarily say this is every couple, but I almost feel like we needed to heal separately a little bit, uh, in order to come back to the table with the conversation. Um, because we just, one, we're, we're both firstborns who are versed, both uh, very independent. Um, and two, we're both polar opposites, um, in the way we, um, heal and grieve and even communicate and express our emotions. Um, and again, going back to the Enneagram, I'm an eight, so I feel things very, very intensely and I have to let them out intensely. Um, and she's a nine, complete polar opposite, um, very peaceful and needs to process and then have a tranquil outlet to let it out. And so like for us to just, like I think for her, she wanted to cry it out and sit in a room, maybe hug someone. And I wanted to punch through a wall and yell. And, uh, and so like it was just a very completely different experience um so again i think we needed to let each other kind of feel those things and and kind of um know that we're going through the same thing but that we needed to ex be freely able to express however we needed to and not um not lower m my voice or or like not not hit something because that's not how she would do it and then her not uh not cry because I, you know, like not having any restrictions on anything just because we were different. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, um, so I would say that kind of helped us in our scenario, but yeah, it's just, it's different. Like the, the personality uh, thing plays a factor and then the gender thing plays a factor. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. My husband's a nine too. Um, oh. I'm a three. So you and I are both in the aggressive, um, yeah, <laughs> aggressive yeah. numbers yeah yeah um so we kind of hearing you I had a lot of crossover um with what you experienced and Hunter my husband was um definitely more inward and and kind of peaceful and stoic about his grieving and 
especially with the most recent miscarriage, I was just, I had like a rage inside of me, I, which I didn't expect because normally I'm a very um, relatively easy, easy person, um, pretty even keel and, and happy. And, um, and yeah, I was so angry um, and that surprised me. Um, but I was reading about threes and kind of that aggressive number and that our path to kind of healing is, um, letting go of that need for control or, or to think that, yeah, we're in the driver's seat and we can make everything happen. And I think when you experience loss, it's kind of that reality check of like, oh, I'm not in control. And that made me really pissed off. Um, so yeah, Yeah. it's tough. I think eights have that same thing where we don't like to feel out of control and and kind of get probably rebellious against any form of when we feel like someone has that control or um in this situation it's hard because it's like you don't really have um it's like this like most painful thing you walk through but there's no face to it like there's no like someone that necessarily caused it um, and so you don't really know where to direct all your anger to. Mm. Um, and oftentimes, obviously, it's easy to direct it to God. Um, but, you know, I found, didn't really find that anything came out of that when I did that either, you know. Um, so you almost feel like the best way I can put it is it kind of felt like I was a soda bottle that someone shook up and had all this like rage. It was just willing, like ready to spill out. And the only way that I could express it was that, like, it wasn't, it wasn't a simple, like, I'm hurt or whatever. It was like, if I was going to express emotion, then it was going to come out like a shaken up soda bottle. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's how I felt it. And if I didn't express it that way, then I wasn't being genuine with how I was feeling it. So because of that, I think that led to some withdrawal because it was like, in my head, I'm thinking like, no one can handle the way I'm feeling right now. And that's kind of, um, no one will know what to do with it. So. I'd rather just not tell anyone about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I definitely was probably the most isolated I've ever been um, in my life. But it was also hard to like on the on the flip side. It's very hard to see like because like I feel like by nature guys have a very like Superman like protective. I want to save people um, desire and watching your wife go through something that's painful and you can't do anything to change it. It's very defeating also. Um, and, and so, and then on top of it, I find like, it's just, it's just a, a compiled, like, um, I don't know. It's just a, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's compiled conflict because like for a guy, we tend to feel like, um, we want to fix it and do something we can't. So we're, we're, there's like the lack of control, our hands are tied behind our back. Uh, There's nothing we can do. But then for a wife or for a female, like y'all don't necessarily need us to do anything. And then I think the more we do try to do something, the more, the worse it gets. And so um, it's just this like, you know, it's harder to like, it's really hard in that moment to know what the right thing to do is. Um, Um, and so that's, I remember feeling that, like, I should probably talk to people, but I don't want to. Um, I should be there for my wife. I don't know how to. Um, there's just, you know, so many different, like, tension points. So. So how did you end up kind of emerging or getting yourself out of that um, place where you felt really isolated? Um, to be honest, um, I feel like I'm just now scratching the surface of that it's taken a long time for me um keep in mind for me while we were going through it and years prior i was working full-time ministry so i was not only in the the, like the job of like people but i was basically obligated to talk to people it's a little different whenever like like you're an extrovert and you, you want to be around people but it's different when you're being told even in times where you're grieving that you have to go talk to people um that's a little different because by then, by the time I hit full, like grieving and to the point of like, um, 
not being able to even be in in a room with people at at, uh, at a church um yeah at that point you're just so burned out that you just like literally don't want any human interaction um so it took a while for me to get past that to be honest um and i'm just now i feel like starting to rebuild that um but i guess what's brought me to that point is i in my head um i there was things i wanted the withdrawal and isolation were keeping me from and so it was like i want to feel closer to my wife i want to uh, be a present parent again i want to not carry the the load of grieving every day um i don't want to be someone that's a recluse um all these things require me to be connected in some way um and so i've just realized that I, for a long time, I was trying to get the result without the uh, formula, I guess. And it just wasn't working. I think that's probably what motivated me was that just realizing that like out of connection really is all the things that we want are found in connection. Unfortunately, um, so is pain too, you know, sometimes. So um, it, it, I look at it this way, like, um, and I was talking about, talking to a friend about this the other day because his mom is currently um, not doing too well from uh, her battle with cancer. And I told him that like, for me, I could, let's just say like the first time I found out that we're had the potential of having a miscarriage, I had two emotional choices at that time. I could have guarded myself in distance and said, cool, I'm going to, I'm afraid of the pain that I'm going to feel. So I'm going to try to feel nothing towards this baby so that when it does happen, I don't feel anything and I'm protected and I'm good. Uh, which is like garbage um, <laughs> yeah. and um, or I can be vulnerable and be present and allow myself to love fully but then I get hurt fully too um, but it's it's one of those things so there's a, there's a song quote that um, I heard one time that says uh, love is not love if it's never been tested and then the song talks about how like you can't just basically like take the good parts of love and, and then like eat that part of the cake. Like you have to know that like if you're going to open yourself up to it, the beauty of it, even though it doesn't feel like beauty, is that you also can get burned by it like um, because you are present. And so um, that being said is that that's kind of something that I've learned out of this is that um, like it, you can and you can feel it too whenever you – um, are guarded towards someone you love it's just not the same and you don't feel like on one end it's like yeah cool you could do something that um might hurt me and i might feel a little bit protected but i also don't feel like i fully love you um this situation the, loving a child is completely different because there's like there's no way to half love a child like you know what i mean like you just can't i, I either like am a cold isolated apathetic guy who um, at that point, I have more issues in my life than just that one. Mm -hmm. um, or I am opening myself up fully to love this child uh, uninhibitedly, knowing that that comes with a lot of pain. Whenever anything hurts, it really hurts. Uh, and so that's kind of what this taught me is that I would have rather loved and gone through that hurt than not felt it. Um, and so... And now that I have a child, it's it continues to reinstill that revelation that I kind of learned from this situation. Right. So. And I had someone tell me that um, someone who also lost a, a baby, she said, you know, once a, a child is born, it doesn't take away that fear of loss because they can still, you know, unfortunate things can still happen to them. And yeah. again, that's where that that fear of losing control comes in and we think that we have everything under control but we don't so you're right we just have to lean into that um I guess that that fear of loss knowing that um the the love is worth it um and I definitely had a similar experience with my second miscarriage where I was very guarded and wouldn't let myself get emotionally attached to the baby and um, it was a defense mechanism. But like you said, 
once I did end up having having a miscarriage, it didn't make the pain any less that I had yeah. been guarding myself. Um, it just made me really angry. Um, yeah. And I'm still working through that grief. Um, so, yeah, for sure. That, have you watched Brene Brown's um, Netflix special? Uh, my wife's been trying to give me one. <laughs> yeah. She, it's, she makes me watch it in little increments because she loves that stuff. Yeah. And I probably, I probably would too. But I think uh, I'm like one of those guys that's like a task guy. So I'm like, give me something to do. <laughs> yes. And um, and so like she'll find little sneaky ways of like getting me to watch like 10 minutes at a time. <laughs> yeah. um, because then I'll end up liking it once I watch it. It's yeah. just starting to watch it. I'm like, eh, I could be editing or doing something with time. Well, you already have a lot of her same ideas inside of you. So just that kind of leading into vulnerability and vulnerability is where connection happens. So um, you really don't need to watch it because (laughs) you already know the ideas, but um, it would, you would probably enjoy it. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, My wife loves, loves it. So. Well, um, so tell me about kind of after that second miscarriage, did you, um, did you and your wife talk about, if you were ready to try again or how did that process work? Um, no, we, well, honestly, I, we were pretty much hopeless to be honest yeah. uh, after that. Um, and it was kind of an unspoken hopelessness. We didn't really talk about it, but we just kind of knew like we're done, uh, that we're not done or we're done trying. Um, and so I, I think we were both so scarred from it. The idea of even, saying the words I'm trying or you know we're trying it was just it felt it felt like um like you know you're a kid and you put your hand on the stove on accident you burn yourself and you may even do it again on accident um because you hadn't done it before but third time like you're just done if you do it like you know what I mean so like it kind of felt like one of us if we had brought it up it would be like dude no mm-hmm. like you're setting yourself up to like yeah. get again and so that's kind of how I felt um so it was honestly a super big surprise when we found out we were pregnant the third time um because we definitely were not trying and it was um just weird timing and um yeah it was just strange because i think it was probably more strange because we were both equally just shut off to the idea um we weren't so i mean at first when we first found out it wasn't like it wasn't probably that much excitement um it was probably 100 percent just like guarded you know and i remember thinking in my head when we found out like great um, i wasn't preparing for a child i was preparing for another miscarriage yeah um and so um this that time it was more objective it was like instead of like well great now i'm gonna get hurt again emotionally it was more like okay well the dnc cost this much that last time we gotta mm. do this it was it was definitely more of a like completely objective like my heart wasn't and it hers probably wasn't either mm-hmm. um so it was it was definitely strange um it, it was a very weird experience um probably the weirdest one was the first time we heard a healthy heartbeat was strange i'll never forget i'll never forget that um so uh but yeah it was so and to answer your question again yeah no we didn't talk about it we just kind of um it was an unspoken conversation i guess we just kind of had given thrown in the towel a little bit on that so and what were the conversations like with your doctor was the doctor hopeful or did they do any testing how did that work um after that second time yeah because i've heard that they a lot of doctors won't test you until you've had three miscarriages which is so frustrating yeah um the doctor was like hopeful but we were so pessimistic uh by then and kind of scarred that we were just any sort of like optimism and smiles and any of that we were just we were so like we didn't we just didn't believe it you know what i mean we were just like uh, you can tell us to keep trying hopefully things will be good but we don't we don't believe that they will be good um and so um yeah we were we we're in a broken place we were pretty broken um and and obviously both had some trust issues with the idea of like something good happening to us because at that point it just felt like 
everything was going wrong. You know what I mean? Like, so, um, it was hard for us to believe in a doctor telling us something good. It was hard for us to believe in even the idea of God doing something for us that was good. So, um, it, yeah, it took a, and I think part of that, I think a little bit of that is us being both firstborns. Um, you tend to be the protectors and the one guarding your younger siblings and stuff like that. And so you, you see a lot more of the world and you kind of, I feel like firstborns tend to have this like, um, more of a realistic, which really is another word for pessimistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a firstborn. Yeah, yeah. Kind of outlook. Cause it's like, I'm not going to think like, I don't think in flowers and butterflies. Like I think like I could get robbed at any moment. Something <laughs> could happen at any moment because I've seen things happen and, um, you just see things through that lens. And so that's kind of where we were with, with this was more of a, well, it happened two times. So the chances of it happening again are pretty likely. So yeah, I get our hopes up kind of thing. So, and when did you finally start having hope or, or did you during that third pregnancy? Um, it was, that's why I'm, that's kind of why I was, I was referring to it being just a weird experience because it felt, so we get, we go to the first time and it was a normal heartbeat. And I just remember being the best way I can put it is it felt like a frozen excitement where it was underneath my skin and I couldn't express it mm. because I was too scared to express it. Um, and then the second time we went, we heard the heartbeat got faster. And I just remember like, I didn't even really have words for the feeling. I just remember being in shock. Um, and I remember almost having this like dialogue internally where, where it was like the minute I heard it, I was in love. But I, at the, at the same time, I was like, no, you can't like, can't because remember what happened last time. Um, and it was, so I was, I was definitely in, there was a battle going on inside mm-hmm. of me for a while. Um, and then the more and more we kept going, um, it was breaking my walls down. But the first time I, I saw like, you, I saw a sonogram where I saw her like moving. I saw a shape to her. Um, I, I was, that was the moment where my walls were completely gone. Um, and like at, at that, so what it felt like was that I was like, I had these walls built up and every time we would go, they would be, someone would be trying to knock them down and I was up there trying to hold them. But the, when I finally saw a shape and and one of those like ultrasounds, it felt like I, I it was impossible to keep walls up at that point because I was just already uh, I don't know committed to love at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's that's probably when I became hopeful because I had never seen that. I was used to seeing a speck and a slowed heartbeat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, it's a strange thing to to see to be in the same chair. And hear a different heartbeat and to see a different picture. Um, so that was probably when it clicked with me. So, and how did that third pregnancy affect your grief for the first two babies? Um, it helped a lot. Um, we, we talk about, like, when we talk about our children, we never exclude them. Um, they're always part of us and we casually talk, I mean, even talk to the baby about her siblings and like um, what they would have been like and things like that. And it, talking about it has helped us um, because we don't talk about them like they're not here um, or like that they never existed. You know what I mean? Um, and so for us, that's helped us a lot, but we also see a lot of purpose and, um, like, I don't think I would be the dad I am today without having gone through that. Um, and it's just as painful. Like, I can't really, it's hard for me to talk about miscarriage without getting emotional ever. Because it's just, I think it'll always make me that way. Um, I, you know, I do photography and when I get asked to do anything around miscarriage, like, it opens the wound up again. Mm. But in a way where, like not in a way where I hurt, but it's more in a way where I'm now able to express empathy. Um, because I think people that are called to empathy have to be also go through pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you don't know empathy unless you've walked through the pain. Um, and so 
for me, I'm grateful for it now. Um, I'll tell you, like, the gratitude that we have for this little baby is unreal, but it has a lot to do with the miscarriages. Mm-hmm. Like, like this, all three of us, we have an older one, um, are very grateful to have her. And even in, like, she's she's honestly the easiest baby in the world. We're, we're like, so lucky. Um, but she's maybe on a handful handful of times had like a fussy moment and even in those times we're like i would rather her be crying her head off than not mm-hmm. here um, and so the hard times are really not hard times they're just part of it you, you just again you learn like you put yourself out there fully and in, in love and you have to take the valleys and the mountains and so just as much as i like hearing her uh laugh and, and seeing her smile like i also have to uh enjoy the moments where she's like on my shoulder crying sometimes too and uh so it's it's definitely made it the dynamic different um because we like you said we we are just um you just see it through different lens so um we have a lot of friends that uh have a tendency without without like it, there's no intention i think they just do it without realizing but sometimes they'll they'll make like complaints about little things about like you know like typical parent stuff and we're just like for us it's like man like we're just lucky to even be a parent mm-hmm. so for us it's, we don't have the complaints in our situation just because um and I'm, that's not to to bash or anything sure. yeah um it, it just is it's a different experience like when you when you like you've lost one and you've lost one multiple times like um you just like man even in the hard times you're just glad you even have the opportunity to have a hard time you know what i mean yep. So, I know I, I've had a similar experience with friends and it's actually taken, um, you know, probably nine months to a year for, for friends to feel comfortable around me, um, talking about just kind of the, the daily grind of, of their parenting. And I had several friends who had babies that were, um, born a little before or after Ellis was. And, um, I got that sense that, you know, they were hyper aware of, of not wanting to complain about their raising their children because I didn't have one. Um, and so yeah. it's tricky to have, have those relationships. And for me, I didn't want to not be around my friends or their babies, but it definitely um, took a lot of uh, just emotional work for me yeah. to be able to be around babies and, and not feel really sad for myself. Um, yeah. And I wondered about that for you being a photographer, a lot of, the work you do is um, taking beautiful photographs of families and babies. So during that time period, how did you cope with that? Having to um, do family sessions, knowing that you'd lost two babies. Um, it's actually, I'm trying to think. So the timeline. Um, so actually the amount of like baby shoots and like family stuff I do, I feel like, um, it's it's i do a lot more of them now that we have one mm-hmm. i don't know why but whenever we announced that we were having her i started getting booked by that stuff a lot interesting before it was a lot of like high school seniors and like uh weddings and so i actually don't really remember doing a whole lot of things that triggered me during that time um i don't yeah i don't like no scenario comes to mind um and honestly i think i did like when it was happening i think i did a pretty good um, I have kind of have a poker face a little bit and so I think I did a good job of like no one really knew like I had a shoot the night that I I had a shoot with about like 20 senior girls the night of the, the day we found out we were having our first one wow and I was like devastated and I'd probably been crying all day yeah and then I had to like like wipe it off and be super extroverted for 20 high school seniors you know Gosh. what I mean the same day yeah, and I just remember afterwards probably getting in my car and then crying right as soon as I got in my car again, because um, it was hard for me to do that, but I could. I kind of learned throughout my life to shut the the people switch on, and um, and I think that's also part of what led me to the isolation was that like I had just all, most of my life had been um, in situations where I had to put the face on a little bit. Um, which is, you know, now I look at it as an adult, I'm like, that's probably why I'm an eight who like hates fake stuff and wants yeah. to be 
different. Um, and so it was, it was, yeah, that wasn't necessarily triggered by specific things like that, but I was, um, more so triggered by having to, having to be more extroverted than I had in me. It definitely felt like I was running on fumes. Um, but I just kind of trucked through it and just remembered I was doing it for my family, to be honest. Had I been a single guy or I don't know, and like I wasn't in a marriage situation or whatever, I don't know how I would have dealt with it. But, um, but like knowing that I was providing for them or working for them helped for sure. Yeah. And so, um, my experience with my husband has been that people, our friends and family and coworkers, talk to me very differently than they talk to him. Um, really just gave me more attention than they did to him. And there were, um, you know, mostly the men in, in our family that were hyper aware of what Hunter was going through and wanting to check on him. Um, but I just know that that's a common experience that the dad can often get left out after a loss and the focus goes on um, on supporting the mom. So what was your experience like that? How did people support you? Did you feel um, like people were um, looping you into that, into their thoughts and prayers just as much as your wife? Um, yeah, I kind of feel like for us, we have a different dynamic because um, one, she's an introvert, so she's a little bit more private. And she's also a therapist, so she's really private on, on you know, on things like that. And so um whereas i at the time was an extrovert working in full-time ministry so you're like you have one person that's introvert and their job is to be very private and then you have one person that's very extroverted and your job is to connect with all these people and for them to know who you are so um it was probably more flipped to be honest for us mm. where i feel like uh because i was the one out there um and they knew me and saw me um that i probably got more I think the feeling was more on her feeling like I was getting a lot of attention for it and, and people were not that they wouldn't give it to her but they almost wanted to respect her space but it was I felt like she if she could have had her way we would have flown to another planet and like grieved without anyone ever knowing and came back afterwards uh, she didn't want any attention uh, on it and the attention made her for her, it was the opposite where it wasn't that she wanted more attention and I got kind of the other end of it. It was more that the attention, any attention made her uncomfortable um, because in her head, um, no one really knew how to, no one really knew how to be there for us anyway. And so it was kind of a weird experience. Um, and so, yeah, ours was a little bit flipped, mostly because of like the roles that we were in um, and whatnot. So... And it, you know, it's, it is a different experience. I think the baby being inside of you, I think people underestimate that. Um, so on, on one end, I understand, uh, like guys getting sometimes shorted on the, uh, grieving side of it. Um, and then on another, I think there is something to say about the woman carrying the baby. That's significantly different. Because our our a lot of our pain is well yes it's the loss, but I think a lot of the guy's pain is seeing his wife in pain and not being able to do anything about it, and the woman's pain is a part of her just got ripped out. Um, so I think it's just a little bit different. Um, not saying that's greater or deserves more um, support or encouragement, but I just I don't know. I just think that that the woman's pain is pretty profound and uh, very exclusive to her. You know what I mean? So. So yeah, that's it. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, well, I was just gonna say, um, do you have any advice for um, fathers who have just experienced a loss and are maybe um, feeling that isolation or or not knowing how to support their wives? Yeah. Um, whenever I um, whenever I was going through it, I got really heavy into the gym. Um, and that was needed for my personality type who in the moment wanted to punch through a wall. So punching through a wall is a very real expression of a real emotion. 
but it's not a healthy expression of a real emotion. Um, being able to feel that same intensity, but do something positive with it uh, was very essential for me. Um, and also there was like, and it, it sounds silly, but, and I, I always thought this was like a myth, but um, there was several days where like, I remember the second time we, or the time we found out about the second miscarriage, the first place I went to after from the hospital was the gym. Cause my, my wife was really good about knowing like, Hey, you need space. You need to go. Um, and I just remember like, I've never lifted that much weight in my life. And I don't know if I ever could again. <laughs> uh, I literally feel like I blacked out. Wow. And, um, I had people like looking at me weird because they were just confused how I was lifting that much. But I was like, I was externally exuding what I was internally feeling. Um, and at that time, it didn't matter if it hurt my body because it hurt me inside more. Um, and so like, it was just, um, it was, it was, uh, just crazy. Like the, I, I don't know, for me, it, it was fun just like seeing the growth, even just like, um, strength wise and physically and things like that, that helped me to like, be like, okay, cool. Like I'm, yes, I'm, uh, exerting all this, um, pain that's inside of me but I'm seeing a positive result from it and doing something positive with it. So like that helped me a ton, but that, that works for my personality type. I, I think like not every guy's like that. Like I think some guys would rather go work on their car or go run or, or talk with friends. There's, you know, you look at like Danny Graham, there's so many needs and uh, types of personality types um, that I don't think that it would be fair to just say that that one thing would help any guy. Um, so I think being aware of what your need is, um, but I think we, yeah, we have a tendency to like, for whatever reason, um, with miscarriages, guys are silent. Um, and I think for me, having gone through it, like, I just know that if I had taught, like, I, I felt like I had two choices and I think most guys do, like, I could talk about it and feel, then I would have to feel it, but then I would grow and mature and heal from it or I could have kept it silent but I already know that like keeping it silent doesn't mean it goes away um we will it'll manifest itself somehow in some way but what I've seen happen is that a lot of guys who walk through that trauma because um, no I don't think any real like healthy loving like dad would have a miscarriage and not feel anything um, whether they like to show it or not, I think they feel it either way. What I find is that when we do and we keep it bottled up and no one ever knows, those are like the beginning stages to things like addiction or, um, you know, alcohol use or things like that, because it, again, has to manifest, manifest itself some way. And so what internally kind of, um, you know, spins around in our head will somehow externally come out um, and some kind of action and, or, you know, maybe it's not addiction, but then it could be anger, like anger, uh, rage. Um, and so anytime our wife says anything, it, we, we turn into a rage fit just because we don't know how to, we haven't processed or been honest with our emotions. So the only thing we know how to do is, um, uh, lash out. And so, um, you know, that was something I experienced too with, before I started to become aware and honest about my emotions was that everything just pissed me off and I just wanted to be mad. Um, and so, because it, I guess it was kind of like, okay, I, if I'm going to keep this internally, I'm doing it to protect myself. I don't want anyone to know what's going on. And so I almost have to build kind of like a, like a, I don't know, a, a gate around my heart. So the only way to keep people out is to lash out at them. Cause if I lash out, they don't want to come in and I don't want them to come in. So, um, I find that a lot with guys. Um, those two things I would say are pretty common, uh, you know, like substance or alcohol or uh, could be pornography or gambling, overspending, eating. You see all those like ways of um, taking emotions and just uh, putting them into an object or something to do. Um, or it can be the rage. I find those two things that happen a lot. So. Um, yeah, there's because I I don't know I just, I just think that um, 
I think we, in, in our society, I think we kind of, um, I don't know. I almost like we accept it. Like, yeah, guys just don't have as many emotions. Like that. I don't think that's true at all. Um, I just don't think people are educated on, on like how we express them differently and what our needs are and fears are. They're different. Those are different. Um, I don't think that I have any less emotions than my wife. I just think that I feel them differently and I have to show them differently. Um, I think it's a cop out when we say that because then, then we're basically saying like guys are allowed their rage fits because they only know that emotion. It's like, that's not, that's not true or healthy or productive in any way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I've seen that modeled for young boys. It's like they're, um, kind of told to suck it up or, or, you know, stop crying. And I can imagine that that totally gets drilled into you and you carry that into your adulthood. And it's really hard then to know how to express your emotions in a healthy way. Cause you feel like you're being weak or you're not a man or, you know, all of those kind of stereotypes that we, that our culture has about how men should be. Um, so it's, yeah. it's so good to hear your perspective it's not only helpful, I'm sure, for other fathers, but for mothers to hear too, to just understand maybe what is going on, um, you know, with their husband emotionally, if they're, if they're not getting that communication or if, if they're only seeing, you know, the anger or even hearing silence. Um, so it, it's just great that you're willing to be vulnerable and, and share your experience because I think that'll help create that empathy and understanding and connection for other people um, out there who are listening to this. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. And I'm, I mean, I'm glad to, to do it. And I'm glad that there's, um, I think it's, it's, it's becoming less of a stigma, I would say, but it's very slow, slowly on its way out. Um, but I'm glad to do my part in it. And, um, I don't know. I just think, I think, um, when we, when we change that and accept that like guys have just as much, um, grieving to do in these scenarios and like that, uh, stuff like that. I, I feel like not only does that guy benefit from, um, a healthier, um, you know, pattern of expressing emotion, but I, I think the marriage also gets better too. So, um, I, I just, I don't, you know, when we, when we write off the, the guy only has two emotions and it's happy and anger. It's like, just don't get like who wins in that scenario. You know what I mean? Uh, and so, um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely helped in, uh, in this. And, uh, I would say, I mean, I kind of have like, I kind of have the cheat sheet a little bit cause I married a therapist. So like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, when she first married me I was that guy that only knew anger and joy mm-hmm. or not even joy I was like pseudo happiness uh, because you can't fully be happy not expressing other emotions um, and so like I remember being married to my wife I never heard the term anger is a secondary emotion try again until I met my wife and I was like then I, then I was pissed off that she said that <laughs> <laughs> And then I realized, okay, there's the problem. Yeah, I've never heard that either. That's good. Yeah, yeah. So, and then, yeah, you just, it it definitely helped me to, uh, her making me, like, actually say an emotion I felt that wasn't anger taught me um, to feel other things that I realized I just wasn't allowing myself to feel. So, Um, but, yeah, it's been helpful in this process for sure. Now, now even more helpful now that we have a little one um so yeah so do you have kind of um maybe one takeaway or thing that you've learned just on your journey through miscarriage and to having your rainbow baby Sharice right that's her name Karis. Oh, Karis. okay yeah. yeah um we've heard so many different pronunciations yeah of where you it. she's gonna get it all her life she she has a her name is a handful. So <laughs> yeah. Is it, how did y'all come up with the name? Um, there was uh, an apologetics Bible that my grandpa gave me, uh, which is basically just, um, it, it 
like uh for i guess for those that don't know much about what that word means apologetics is basically just like the the study of like defending your faith and so he gave me uh an apologetics bible that broke down some of the old old words and, and like into the original translations and so there was a word um that i saw in there a while back this is years ago um and it's a charis and it was the greek word for grace mm. um and so i just remember like for some reason i loved the way that word sounded but i never really like never used it again and then for some reason when she was being born the word came back to my memory and like for me like especially our with our story and then also like her not be planned um it totally was a gift of grace like if any time i i had thought i would like not have deserved this child it would have been right when she was we found out that we were having her because i was so withdrawn isolated at that point probably the most angry was god not connected to a church or anyone like i just at that time it was like i just wanted to crawl in a corner and not be seen uh and then we find out that we're having this little baby. Um, so it was totally a gift of grace. And so that's the name. That's where the name came from. I so, love that. Yeah. So I love, I'm real big into like meaning and reasons why things are the, that like doing stuff with intention. So um, yeah. So her name totally had a purpose. That's for sure. But her last name means troublemaker in Spanish. So <laughs> I'll have a little bit of what oh, that's great so uh but you said takeaway right yeah. so um honestly i i i know that i i'm probably like repeating myself sound like a record player but um yeah the big uh, honestly the biggest thing is just what i was kind of talking about earlier where um I, I now that i've been through it i realized that like how much of my life i spent loving people with one foot out the door. Um, and I think most of us do that. We don't realize that we do that. Um, you you hear like so many things. Now that I'm, again, on the other side, I kind of hear when people say things, I'm like, you are you love people just up into the point where they don't hurt you. Um, and you've mastered, like, how do I, how much can I love this person without fully, like, it, it, when you start saying it, it's really an oxymoron um how much can i love this person without getting hurt and in order to love you have to get be okay getting hurt it's part of it um you let someone in and that's the that's part of it um without without hurt you don't have forgiveness or grace or humility or any of that stuff and so you don't really learn the fullness of what love is and so um i've just learned that again i have i have two choices i either don't love and i have to be honest with myself if i love with one foot out it's not love um or i fully do with two feet in um and and i used to be afraid of that and so i had this baby and now i know what it feels like and so now i can honestly say that i probably our whole five first years of marriage i don't think i ever knew what it felt like to love with two feet in um until we had this baby and now even our marriage feels different um because now there was there would be times where things that she would do or whatever would hurt me, not intentionally, but um, I just remember like in the past, I would have just gotten angry at this, but now I feel sad about it. Why do I feel sad about it? Because now I'm letting, like, I'm allowing myself to be vulnerable and for, for in order to be vulnerable, you know, you open yourself up to hurt. And so, um, but again, out of that comes being able to communicate, hey, you hurt me. Hey, I'm sorry. Now I forgive you. Now we're closer. Now we have better communication. Like that's actual, like actual relationship. Um, you can't have an actual relationship with one foot in. Uh, and so I guess all that being said is um, it really just taught me to be present. Um, and like, there, I mean, even with my little baby, obviously she doesn't do anything that hurts me. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but like, um, I don't feel that same guardianness I felt when I was trying to like hope that there wasn't a miscarriage. And, um, and then I would say probably the other thing would be like, kind of you hit on it is that the fear of loss doesn't end when you see their face. Um, I remember like, so I have to confess this story. 
um i was my wife was cooking dinner one night and i was on the couch with the baby and we were just watching tv and uh i'm thinking like okay she'll be done in like five minutes so we'll be good and so i um i guess i nod off i don't realize that i'm tired or anything i just i guess not at all and so i woke up to the baby crying but the baby wasn't on me and so then i looked down next to me and the baby had fallen off of me onto the floor but our luckily our couch is low and our carpet is like super uh we have this rug it's pretty thick um and so but i remember like the minute i saw her i cried like a little kid that like lost his favorite toy um out of fear that i was that i had done something to her and that she was she was gonna like not be here anymore and my to the point where my my older daughter like she was like i've never seen him respond that way he was afraid for me and i just remember like ever since then i would if she would like cough or choke i flip flip out and i had to i don't know I, i still do this i still have to stop and be like that is my control side coming back in and saying i'm afraid someone's gonna take her from me again so i have to make sure they don't and i really can't make sure like that's also the that that's probably the flip side of that first thing i said is that in order to be fully in love you have to be okay knowing that you'll get hurt but you also have to know that you don't have control um you're just fully stepping in and saying man like whatever happens i'm gonna do my best to protect you but there's some things that are going to happen that I can't do anything about and they're going to hurt me. Um, but there's also going to be some things that, that happen that are going to be awesome that I get to experience now because I'm fully in, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So I would say my long, I'm a long winded guy, but my, my short answer to your question is to love with both feet in. So I love that. Um, and I'll just maybe make you feel a little better. I was one of those babies who, fell off the bed. (laughs) My mom was taking a shower and she'd put me in the middle of the bed and somehow I managed to roll off onto the ground and I turned out okay. So (laughs) I know so many friends who've had a similar experience and I'm sure it's just horrifying. Um, But like you said, there are just things that are out of our control. And if you can just, it's for me, it's a daily practice of trying to remember that, remind myself that I'm not in control. I'm not in control. And we can, like you said, do things to um, try our best, but um, there's also things that we can't control. So being present is a big one for me too. And um, I just really appreciate your message of having both feet in with um, being willing to love, love fully. That's such a powerful message. And um, especially coming from a father, um, I think that your message will resonate with both fathers and mothers, and I really appreciate your willingness to be vulnerable um, and share the, you know, the dark moments that you've had and, and the dark moments that you'll still continue to have in the future, because I know from my experience that grief doesn't um, go away. So it's a journey and something that we'll always carry with us. Um, so I know that your story will help others. And I just really appreciate you taking the time to um, talk with me today. So tell us how people um, can connect with you and find you. Um, So they can find me on, so I'm pretty much mostly active on my photography um, pages. So um, primarily my Instagram, so they can find me on there. My handle is Wayfarer. So like, like the sunglasses, W-A-Y-F-A-R-E-R, photography, and then an underscore at the end of that. Um, you can find me on like Facebook and stuff too, but that's probably, I'm the most active on that page, which is how I found you and uh, probably talk to people the most on that page. So yeah, they can find me on there. Um, and then any any other outlets, they can find me on there. They usually find me through there. So Yeah, I, I really love your Instagram page. I love how... For one, you take beautiful photographs, so everyone should go and and check out Devin's Instagram right now. Um, But you also do such a good job of of being authentic, and in your captions to each photo, you kind of reveal who you are and 
and your beliefs. And um, it's just really cool to follow your story because a lot of other photographers, you don't kind of get to know the person behind the camera through their, um, through how they represent themselves. So um, you have a really unique uh, presentation of your work and, and who you are. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. I hope this episode was meaningful for you. If you'd like to connect with me, you can visit taylorashleybates.com and also find me on Instagram. Please share this podcast with anyone you know who is currently walking through life after pregnancy loss, whether they are trying to conceive, currently pregnant, or parenting after loss. And please subscribe and review this podcast. Your feedback will help shape this podcast and will also help others to find it. Stay tuned for the next episode, where I'll share the latest update on our journey to a rainbow baby, including our new diagnosis and my thoughts about our next step. I'm Taylor Bates. Thank you so much for listening.